Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? What is up, amazing people? My name is Jake Iggy, or Iggy for short, and this is Iggy Sports Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Iggy Sports Talk. And if you have not yet, make sure to go over and subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you get notified for weekly episodes. And also share this episode with a family or friend if you feel like it can help them in some way. I really appreciate any support that you could give because in each episode, my goal is to empower you to strive for your dreams, learn how to overcome challenges, and relieve your mental health struggles so you can live this life to the fullest. Now enjoy this week's episode of Iggy's Sports Talk. I am here with Daryl Stinton, who is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and suicide survivor. How are we doing today, Daryl? Living my best life. Excited to jump in and chat with you. I love it, man. I love it, man. I mean, that, that, that's a powerful statement right there that you just started off with. I, I mean, that's something that we're really all striving for is living our best life day in and day out. Um, and it, it's incredible that you're feeling that way, man. I love to hear it. Yeah. I mean, this is the life that was given me. So from a gratitude standpoint, it's my best life. But also, you know, from a conversation, as we talk about athletes, there's a time where I live my current life as if it was second best to my former life as an athlete. Right. And life was like downhill. You know, we use this term in athletics called the glory days. Right. And I wasn't content with my glory days being behind me mm-hmm. instead of in front of me. And so, yeah, I'm living my best life. I love it, man. And, and it's so interesting talk about talking about athletes and mental health. And I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons why I've transitioned the podcast a little bit more talking about that and connecting mental health with sports, because it, it really dictates a lot how athletes live not only within the time that they're an athlete, but also like post career as well. And I actually just had an amazing conversation um, with Reggie Walker. I don't don't know if you've ever heard of any of his stuff, but he explained the idea of a war mindset that football players really have to get into before they play. And and you were defensive end at central Michigan university. And quite honestly, right after that conversation I had with him, it made me look completely differently at, football players mainly but just like athletes in that mindset that you have to get into to compete yeah absolutely and everybody's has has their different ways and philosophies but there's definitely uh some some similarities to war and sports in general and the mindset that we coach elite elite athletes to have so you know one of the phrases that's common is you know, I put my blood, my sweat, my tears into everything, you know, and that's like very much a war term. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you got enemy is the opponent. And so there's a lot of parallels. Obviously it's not the same thing. It's not life or death unless you're paying like I was with like (laughs) a a very severe injury that could lead to death. But uh, still it is very competitive and you got to put yourself in that mindset in order to have an edge on your opponent. Right, exactly. And and just from that conversation, other conversations that I've had about this subject, it, it is so interesting to hear, especially looking at, you know, different things that we've been seeing in the media recently, especially with the Olympics and, and the pressure that it has on those types of athletes. And it's been also interesting to hear what the public says about that stuff, because it's it's so new that people are like, well, what is wrong with these people? Why can't they just go out there and play like this is your job? in all reality, just all that pressure. Like there was, there was something that happened with, uh, with the Red Sox and Yankees where, where a fan threw a ball at Alex Verdugo, a Red Sox player. And he said right in front of the podium, he's like, I'm a human being, but I, I, 
she played baseball for a job. He's like, but I'm just like you and I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's so crazy, man. And there's so many instances like that. And I'm glad that technology has allowed us to, to see a little bit more of what goes on and how athletes are being treated. Because I think there's always an unfair narrative around athlete behavior versus fan based behavior where we give fans more grace than we give athletes because we expect more out of athletes as leaders than we do out of fans. But I think we're all humans and we all have potential and no one's better than anybody. So while, you know, there is a responsibility that comes with the public platform, uh, you also have to be able to give them the same grace that you want for yourself. Because if anybody followed you around with the camera, (laughs) saw you at your worst moment. And I think that's what technology has been able to capture. It's like, man, you know, if you see an athlete throw something and, you know, it, it, like they're not just doing this because they're a hothead or they're not a uh, sound minded individual. They're doing this probably because they're fed up um, for how they've been treated. And that one little thing that someone did just kind of set them on edge. So, you know, it's just something we got to be aware of. Exactly. And I, I think the year of 2020 is really when it was a lot introduced to people. Just the idea of mental health was so much more amplified by the fact that people were anxious about the unknown. They were anxious about getting germs from other people. They were anxious about uh, what their job or families looked like, if they were able to see their families or not. And uh, mm-hmm. it was definitely a year where, you know, a lot of people learned about themselves, but also went through a lot of trials and tribulations. And I always like to ask my guests, uh, what was the biggest lesson you learned uh, during 2020? <sighs> The biggest lesson I learned in 2020, I have not thought about that. Um, Man, I don't know. I'm kind of stunned a little bit because I learned so much, you know, from 2020. And I'm so I reflect every day. So I I learn something every day. Um, and, And so you know, to look at the whole year and be like, well, what was my greatest lesson from last year? Um, I think from a personal standpoint, honestly, uh, it was recognizing how small I was playing and how much my view of myself contributes to the success that I experienced in my life. And uh, I think it, it just became very apparent uh, during a worldwide pandemic, um, knowing that I had a lot of value to offer the world from the athletic industry who was now becoming more aware of mental health and more public with it. And me having a book that addresses that and more while also uh, just being a person who's been through trauma and lows and depression and you had all these spikes of people being depressed from quarantine, uh, Zoom fatigue, and mm-hmm. at home with kids, and divorce going up, and alcoholism consumption going up, people trying to just cope with the stress. And I felt like I had strategies and perspectives that could help people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being able to see myself that way is a shift I had to make. Because I'm just like, man, people kind of know this stuff. This isn't like groundbreaking information. But it is to some people who never experienced it before. And like, I remember my wife was just kind of, she was kind of acting funny and she was, I don't know, she was eating a lot and, uh, you know, something was just off. And, and, and I remember like observing her one day, I was like, man, she's depressed. I I know that she's 
depressed because I, that's what I did when I was depressed. I noticed those behaviors, mm-hmm. and uh, I I, uh, I I was talking to her like late at night, and I was like, hey, you know, she's like, man, I don't know what's going on. I was like, man, you're depressed. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, well, this 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 this, and I started to kind of ex- explain how I know, and she was like, you're exactly right, you know, and right. and and so you know how you see yourself determines how you show up in life oh yeah if you see yourself as invaluable if you see yourself as inadequate you show up that way and the worst part about that is that the results that you want on the inside uh the way that you see yourself affects you actually experiencing that in your life right and so if you want to be a person who gets paid high dollar if you want to be a person whose voice is respected if you want to be a person whose podcast is download it because of how much value it offers you have to see yourself as a person of value and if you're if you're struggling with low self-esteem and confidence and you're second guessing yourself like you're never going to step up like you know that you could if you had complete confidence in yourself mm-hmm. and when i tell this to people they're like oh, okay how do you get rid of the fear how do you get rid of the nervousness how do you get rid of and i'm like you don't get rid of it you you, you do it in spite of it mm-hmm. right like i get nervous like before we were just talking before we like like officially start recording this podcast of like essential oils is something that's new in my uh, mental health and self-care routine. And, and it centers me before I get up there and speak, it helps me to ground myself in my true identity, who I am. So that when I, when I share, I share from a more powerful grounded place. And these are things that people need to do. And I had to recognize that. And, and, And I don't know, 2020 taught me that lesson. Uh, that I was, you know, I didn't have low, low self-esteem, but m- my identity did not match the goals that I had in life. That's and so I had to play bigger. Right. That, that's so interesting. And I, I appreciate you sharing that story about your wife, because it's something where especially people around us, even as close as like our significant other, it really is tough for them to fully realize like what is going on because there's not a lot of people when they get those types of feelings when you feel a little bit off you don't fully know how to pinpoint it unless you've really dealt with it for a long period of time or unless somebody notices it and and brings it up to you uh and especially during that time of 2020 you know there's a lot of why me why is this happening to me and um i was somebody who got my college semester cut short and I had these freshmen in college who were saying, why is this happening to me? And I'm like, in my mind, like, there's these seniors who just got their entire rest of their college uh, experience just like cut off. And, and it, it was interesting to see how people really put themselves in a perspective of this is happening to everybody. But uh, I, I find it so interesting hearing about, you know, that identity shift. And that's one of the biggest things that we all need to figure out is what sort of value do we bring to this life and to other people around us? Correct. And value is, is determined uh, by the, the person who's receiving the value. And, 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 what I, and, and again, you know, you can't dictate your value based upon how other people perceive it you know it's the it's the old adage that uh and i'm gonna kind of butcher the story but the guy you know gives his daughter a car and tells her to go you know sell the car and sees what it works she goes to the pawn shop they tell her i give you 500 bucks for it. she goes to another shop they say i give you a thousand he comes back he says go over to 
the antique collector and go and she goes over to the antique collector and they'll give her like, I don't know, 20, 50, 80,000, however many it was because that person valued it more. Right. And if we don't recognize that, the, that people are kind of like perceiving the value and it doesn't mean that they control the value we have. It just means we have to get around the people who value what we have to offer. And, and, and the problem is that we do two things when we, when we start to have esteem issues and confidence issues that are impacting the life we want. We either start to compare <laughs> and we look at your gift, mm -hmm. uh, your highlight reel, your social media success, and then we compare our, our, your strengths to my weaknesses, your highlight reel to my real life. Right. And then we start to have issues of am I valuable or not? The other thing that starts to happen is people start to devalue us, right? Like, like, I don't like you. I don't think you're cool. I don't agree with you. And then we start to think, well, maybe I don't have anything to offer. It's like, no, that person just thinks differently. Maybe you're not, they're not your assignment. Maybe you're not called to impact and influence their life. Right. But I'm telling you, there's a whole tribe of people out here in this world that resonate with you and are wanting to hear your story, wanting to hear your voice, wanting to hear your perspective, wanting to hear how you process information, wanting to hear how you think through problems and work through scenarios because they too are in that same journey. And so you just got to find your tribe. And you got to stop comparing yourself to other people, find what's unique about you and enjoy that, celebrate that, put that out there for people to see. I love it, man. And I, I feel like it's really tough right now in our society, especially with everything that's going on with social media, just that comparison. I, I've seen it all throughout my life, all throughout my generation. Um, it, it's I've dealt with it a lot as well. Um, as we spoke about a little bit before the podcast, I mean, that was one of the biggest things that I struggled with throughout college is comparing myself to others and, you know, changing myself to to appease uh, other people's perception of me and, you know, to fit in. And I've had some other conversations with, with other people, with other guests that I've had on the podcast of like, what is normal? Like there's no real normal other than what you perceived is normal. And uh, oh, yeah. that's such an interesting subject. And uh, just like the whole understanding of, um, you know, I think it's also very interesting as well, middle school and high school, like the cool kids between the not cool kids. Like it, it's really just our perception of like what those people wear. Um, but it really comes back to all, the whole idea of it all depends on the experiences that we have throughout our life that make us yeah. who we are. Yeah, exactly. And ah, man, I just wish <laughs> I could just shake a school like completely loose uh, to, to understand that dynamic. And in fact, I've done, I've done a couple of virtual keynotes um, in the pandemic. And one of the ones that I did was called Operation Authenticity. And it was this talk around walking people through how are authentic are they really being because i think if everyone could learn how to be more authentic to themselves some of this like bullying that goes on in schools so low self-esteem depression issues uh relational issues kids getting picked on you know feeling lonely at the lunch table mm -hmm. cool kids not cool kids all, some a lot of that stuff will go away if people just start being more authentic Mm -hmm. But the problem is that like we get to school and we start shooting a whole movie, a full production, <laughs> you know, nobody goes to school and, and talks about like real stuff. You go to school and you try to be cool and be class clown. Like I know because I was it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I knew how to play the game and I and I was successful at it. But I learned it because I felt like an outcast, right. you know, and I know we, we talked about maybe getting into this, but, you know, rejection 
will make you question who you are. Yep. Rejection, if you don't understand how to properly assess it, will feel like it's an enemy instead of a friend. Yeah. And what we have to learn to do as entrepreneurs, as leaders, as human beings is to properly understand rejection, why it comes into our life and how we can use it as a catalyst for our success. Because here's what I know. If you do anything of value, if you do anything of service, you are going to feel this thing of rejection, period. Mm-hmm. You're human. It's a part of our experience. I've never met one human being on this planet who hasn't felt some type of rejection, whether it was I didn't get invited to drinks with my coworkers or I didn't I got cut from the high school team right. or I launched my podcast and I had zero listeners on the first day. Like I felt this rejection and we take that and we allow that sting to keep us from moving forward to keep us from making friends. Mm -hmm. And what I'm saying to people is if you understand that sometimes rejection is projection or protection, then, oh my gosh, think of how you can still move forward because you won't take it personally. You'll put it in different buckets and you'll keep it moving. Right. And and that's such a tough idea, especially for, um, you know, now with so much with social media, I mean, when you were talking about rejection, I, I mean, it's even something as small as somebody not opening your Snapchat, like honestly, anything. And, and that, and that's something that I dealt with a lot as well. Like, let's say for instance, I Snapchat a girl with the intention that she was into me and then she leaves me on red, which essentially like in my mind, that's like, she's ignoring me. And then you make up all these hypotheticals in your mind and you start beating yourself up. Oh, what do I need to change myself to? So then she does like me more than some other people. And it's, it's this whole idea in this whole um, sort of argument that you have with yourself. Uh, but you brought, you brought up this idea of projection. I've, I find it so fascinating of just what you project in your reality and what, how you look at different situations and make up these different ideas in your mind. So explain that a little bit. Yeah. So the concept comes from uh, when I was in the third grade, my mother put me in accelerated learning classes because she noticed that I was a very smart kid. And this meant where I'm from in Jackson, Michigan, that I was one of two black students in an all white class. And there wasn't anything wrong with this. I was uh, very smart. I was one of the smartest kids in the class, actually. People were cheating off my test. They laughed at my jokes. They called me goon because I was like this big, goofy, gooning guy. And I thought that since they liked me, everybody must like me, you know, charismatic. I'm smart. I'm handsome, everything. (laughs) And so one day I'm walking down the hallway and then uh, I got that nasty wooden bathroom pass. That's disgusting that everyone takes to the bathroom back in the day. And I see this group of black students in the hallway uh, circled together laughing hysterically. And so I'm like, man, what's so funny? I want to like get in on the jokes, you know? So I, I walk over to him. I'm like, what's so funny? And they don't answer me. And I'm like, man, I know that they heard me. Like I'm tall. I've always been tall. Right. I like, so they hear me and they just ignore me. And so I'm like, man, maybe, maybe they was just clowning and didn't hear me. So I, I spoke up. I said, what y'all over there laughing about? And before I could even finish my sentence, one of the kids turned towards me. He looked at me. He said, your was funny, white boy. And I'm like, white boy. They all started laughing. And I knew that they were not laughing with me. They were laughing at me. I walked back to my classroom with my head down. And I started to ask around the school, 
what why are people why did these students call me a, a white boy when i'm clearly black <laughs> like right. extra black not like mixed <laughs> i'm super black you know <laughs> i was so black that they would make these jokes in class when the lights go off they say where'd daryl go all we can see is his eyes and his teeth you know and so wow, that's crazy uh um i found out that I was known in our school as the black kid that quote unquote talks and acts white. And that was hurtful to me because no one told me personally. And apparently everyone knew except for me. And uh, I took that personal and I talk about it in a TEDx talk, so I won't go too much into it, but I took that to mean that who I was authentically wasn't enough to be liked or loved by other people. So I started to change everything about myself in order to fit in with this crowd, change the way I talk, the way that I, um, uh, you know, behaved. I started skipping school, selling drugs, having sex with girls, all in attempts to fit in with this black community. And it worked. <laughs> they welcomed me into the culture. I had a black girlfriend. I was like one of the most popular kids in school. Uh, I, they called me a different type of goon. I was now street tough guy goon instead of goofy lame goon. Right. And uh, the problem is that deep down inside, I knew it wasn't me who they were accepting. It was who I was pretending to be. And so you fast forward, I'm being inauthentic all my life through college. And I get through my injury uh, at CMU, go through a depression, uh, go through the suicidal attempts have this rebirthing experience in a psychiatric care facility. And then I start to look at my life in retrospect. Then I start to begin this journey of, of who am I authentically? What laugh is really mine? What events do I really like? What music do I really enjoy? If I wasn't pressured by other people's opinions and I started to sort of peel off these layers of other people's opinions, people making fun of me, my old pain, my insecurities and kind of like peeling back this layer of onion until I got to this core of like, yeah, this is Daryl. Yeah. This is me. And um, when I got to that place, I started to see those students through a different light. And I'm like, oh man, they didn't have the courage to be their authentic self. Mm -hmm. So, so since they weren't courageous enough to do anything different than what their peers thought was acceptable, they projected their fears and insecurities onto me in the form of mockery and jokes. And so they talked bad about me to make me feel, to make them feel better about themselves. That's how it goes. And, and, and that's what people do. And when you have that perspective, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I wish I would have known that. Like, 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 like I wish I would have known that people will talk down about you to make themselves feel better. I wish I would have known that people who hate on you is probably because they're jealous of, the progress you're making. I, I you know, it's say I, I've never got judged by people who were further than me mm -hmm. ever. It's always somebody beneath me trying to grab my feet, pull me down, keep me from climbing. And I have to decide what I'm going to do with that. Am I going to internalize that and be like, Oh, they're making fun of me. Oh, they're not inviting me. Oh, they're not buying my product or my service. Oh, I don't have anything to offer. What's wrong with me right. versus, let me assess this scenario and see if this could be a form of projection. Right. I'm not saying it is every time. I'm not saying that we don't accept responsibility. I'm not saying that we can't learn from others of people's opinion mm -hmm. and make adjustments. 
All of that is possible. But what I'm saying is that more times than not, the sting of rejection we feel is coming from haters who are jealous of our progress. Exactly. Yeah, I love it, man. And and I, I mean, that's a situation where you probably look back now and you're like, that made me who I am today. This is exactly why I have the purpose that I do to help other people not feel like this. And and it's it's really tough when you have to ask yourself that question, like, what is my actual laugh? I mean, that's that's just a crazy question. And, and when you have that feeling of when you're looking at yourself in the mirror and really that deep sort of moment with yourself of this isn't me at all. Like, this is not who I am. And, and, and for people who are having to try and paint a picture of themselves, which isn't them to please other people, uh, how were you able to get through that? And what advice do you have for those people? Mm, ask me the question again. So for people who are going through similar idea of having to change mm. who they are to please mm. other people, what advice mm. do you have for them? And how were you able to get through that experience? My advice is it's better to be real and be rejected than to be fake and be accepted. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. You have to anchor yourself in that belief so that you make decisions accordingly. What we think is that being inauthentic pr protects us from pain, protects us from failure, protects us from rejection. Um, and it might, but it also causes you harm causes you to lose your authentic voice, makes you feel depressed because you know that you're not showing up, makes you feel like an imposter. And I think some people have imposter syndrome, not because, uh, you know, they're in a room full of expert geniuses and they feel like they don't belong. But a lot of people feel like they're an imposter. You ready? Because they are imposing <laughs> like, like they are they are not being themselves yeah so of course you feel like an imposter because you're trying to be somebody you're not so you have to anchor in this but you have to tell yourself listen in this situation in this sales call i'd rather be real than be rejected than fake and be accepted in this relationship i'd rather be real and be rejected than be fake and be accepted because if i'm fake and i'm accepted i gotta keep up that act for the duration of the relationship but if I'm real and they reject me, then at least I know what it is and I can get to the next person, the next call, the next prospect, the next relationship where people actually accept me. And again, don't take this and, and be unwise and, and not grow and be a jerk and be like, oh, I'm just going to be a, you know, a, a jack A and not make any changes uh, because people don't understand me. Don't do that. Mm -hmm. Right. Like assess the situation and go. What's authentic that I like and I enjoy that I just got to never lose? And then what maybe do I need to tweak? Maybe my presentation sounds a little different, you know? And so it's a balance, but but I, I'm telling you more times than not, people just got to be bold enough and courageous enough to do it. So I anchored myself in that belief and I tell people that same thing. Uh, the other thing is how do you really kind of find yourself? What's authentic to you? Things like that, man. You just kind of like trial and error. Um, and, and, and it helps if you go back to the original place where you lost you. So um, if you close your eyes and you took a deep breath and you went back to a painful moment of rejection in your life, uh, what was an earlier 
remembrance of rejection. So for me, one of the ones that comes up is I remember being in this basement party, rolling dice with a bunch of people who were in the streets. Mm. And uh, I laughed. And my laugh, my natural laugh is very high pitch. And it, it's kind of embarrassing to be a big, muscular, tough black guy and have this high pitch laugh. And I remember just like laughing uncontrollably because of whatever happened. Right. And and they looking at me, they're like, man, you you lame. Like, why are you laughing like that? And that was where I was like, oh, that's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's not appropriate. Oh, I don't like that. I laughed like that. So the next time I laughed, mm-hmm. it was like, instead of going, <laughs> I went, <laughs> right. You see the difference? Yeah. I started to lose myself. Yeah, just not and happening. the crazy thing about it, you talked about this. The very thing that made them reject me is what makes people other, other people accept me. The crazy thing about it is that after I peeled off those layers and I started to kind of show up with my more authentic self, because by the way, when you find it and you're like, okay, this is more authentic, you got to just kind of let yourself test the waters because your body has built up this, this wall that says, if you're authentic, you're going to experience pain. And so what you have to do once you identify that's your wall is you have to kind of let it go. It's going to feel scary as crap. You know, I remember the first time I laughed as my authentic in the public setting, like I literally went home, like feeling like everybody in that room, like thought the same way about me uh, as, as when I, when it happened to me when I was younger and, and I didn't, I didn't even talk to anybody. I just made that assumption because it felt that way. So you just have to by faith, like make the choice to be to bring your authentic self into the world knowing that you may get rejected and you may feel some fear because it's an old place of pain Mm -hmm. and and i'm telling you the more i do it and so now what i love is i do podcasts and speaking and i got my authentic self and people actually like my high-pitched laugh they think it's contagious they think it makes them laugh and sometimes they are laughing at me but oh well it's not from a condescending like you weirdo standpoint it's just like that is hilarious that this big dude laughs like that, yeah, you know, exactly. and, 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 and so it's, it's a, it's a advantage for me and it makes me different and it sets me apart, but society tried to choke out my authenticity. Right. And that's so tough about, because we're always so told, you know, you have to find a way to differentiate yourself in the job market. You know, there's with so much competition. You need to find a way to be unique. But like with the whole idea of normal, it's so hard to be able to get out of your comfort zone and that fear of not living up to that normal that society sort of paints. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even dealt with something very similar th- throughout school. I, I would stand in front of my closet for 10 to 15 minutes and just try to find a shirt that I wouldn't get comments on. And uh, like, and, and, and it's crazy how like simple that seems, but like, mm-hmm. but then once I, once I got into my, that happened in my freshman year of college, my senior year of college, I remember I told people this and they looked at me like I had four heads. I'm like, what's weird is I'm wearing this Red Sox shirt because it makes me happy. I love the Red Sox. And they're like, and they go, okay, like, that's cool. Who cares? And I'm like, actually like this, this is amazing for me. Like, like, like I actually like figured out like how to be myself and it's, it's okay. Yeah. I, I mean, especially like being your type of personality where, where you're very nice, you know, you're high energy and, and especially like a soft hearted type of guy. I mean, I mean, I can only imagine um, that type of 
fear of rejection or having to fit in on the football field. Mm-hmm. And, and especially when you were in like a college setting, like I, I had massive anxiety throughout college and tried to fit in. And so mm-hmm. how was that experience during your time on the football team at Central Michigan University? Well, my personal experience in college on the football team, I, none of this, I mean, I, let me say it this way. I, what I was going to say is that I didn't really have that issue because I was still keeping up the whole performance and changing who I was. So I didn't have any issues with rejection because everybody loved me because I was a super chameleon that fit in with everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really didn't start having those problems until like after I started to peel back the layers and then people are like, Oh, why, why are you changing up? Why are you switching it up? You know, uh, why you ain't, hanging out with us or why are you acting funny and it's like i'm not acting funny i'm acting original you know right. and so 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 i didn't really have that but I, I will say this there were moments that i knew uh i was unfulfilled because i was faking who i was and and and, and it was hard for me to enjoy life because i knew i wasn't really living life mm-hmm. uh, and that's where a lot of the depression came from was that i had been doing this since the third grade my man and i couldn't come out in college and be like so guys i'm really not tough yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> i mean i was I, I am tough from like a don't fight me type of standpoint yeah but i'm not i'm not crazy to where i want to like shoot somebody because they steal something from me, you know, and that's, that's the, the narrative that comes from the neighborhood I grew up in. And that's who I was trying to act like. And, um, you know, even, even I listened to old raps that I did back then. I still got some of them on my garage band. I had the whole studio and everything. And the things that I rapped about, I'm like, man, that wasn't me. And, and, and there was times where I'm rapping about certain things. I'm like, man, this is just, I'm just saying this because this is the cool thing to say. I, I don't really feel this, but I can be like, Hey guys, I'm not, this isn't cool to me anymore. <laughs> yeah. right. Are those you know? on SoundCloud and YouTube? Cause right after this conversation, I'm going to go <laughs> up and listen. They're, they're, so all the old stuff is gone. I think I do have like one or two tracks that are new on, uh, you know, all the listening platforms. Uh, one's defy the statistics. The other's called we all need hope. Uh, but it's all positive stuff and it's all authentic to who I am today. But all the rest of the stuff is on my hard drive. And uh, I don't know, you pay me enough money, I might release like one. <laughs> there it. is one online somewhere and you have to know where to find it. It's not like a published song, right. but I just thought about this. And uh, oh, no. But again, that was post my transformation. So it's still my authentic, my authentic voice. So Sorry. Got to pay well, for I'll that. I'll go into the dark web. I'll figure it out some way, somewhere. That, no. no way. <laughs> All on my hard drive. Unless you are super genius, you're not getting it. <laughs> well, like, I mean, it's really cool to hear that, like, you were able to express yourself within music, like, with this new chapter as well. And, and that you're honest with yourself and you have that awareness of really thinking mm-hmm. back of how you used to express yourself in that art form. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I find that super interesting. But yeah. go, going through that experience in college, that depression, and especially with your season ending back surgery, um, explain that experience and really some of the biggest lessons that you learned from that that's made you to, into the person that you are today. Okay, let me fast track through some of these lessons because there's a lot. We have a short amount of time. 
lesson number one that I learned is there's a difference between being hurt and being injured. So when I first uh, ruptured my disc and had a pinched nerve, I thought I was hurt. You can play through hurt. You can play through pain. So I was playing through it, but I was really injured. Mm-hmm. I, I needed repair. I needed rest. Uh, working was only going to continue to make it worse and harm my body more. And in the long term, that's dumb. And even in the short term, it's not smart because you start to compensate with other muscle groups and you start to have imbalances in your body. So it messes everything up. Uh, so that's lesson number one is know the difference between being hurt and being injured. Okay. Uh, uh, lesson number two that I learned is uh, learn that vulnerability is a Batman signal for love. And if you really want more love from society and from relationships and from human beings, you got to send a stronger vulnerability signal. Mm-hmm. And so when I started to notice like, oh my gosh, there's a disconnect between uh, what people say to me and how I feel about me. You know, people are enamored by the fact that I'm on national television and playing against, you know, top athletes and we're on the track to win a Mac championship and, Eric Fisher's projected to go first round of the draft and Antonio Brown is projected to leave early and go to the NFL and Dan LaFever's being compared to Tim Tebow. And you're a part of this. Oh my gosh, Daryl, you're so amazing. And you're next, you know? And uh, I'm feeling like I'm not being my authentic self. I don't know who I am. Y'all saying y'all like me. Y'all only like me because I'm playing sports. And I never communicated that, that, this disconnect, uh, this this distance that I felt in my relationships caused me not to like myself, uh, caused me to feel depressed and not really want to be here on this planet anymore. And so uh, I sent out a small vulnerability signal. I, would, I, I said, you know, going through a tough time, pray for your boy, uh, for every dark night, there's a brighter day. You know, I'm putting these deep quotes and expecting people to just know what I'm going through. And then I'm getting more depressed and more hurt because people are not like calling me, texting me, hitting me up. My vulnerability signal wasn't strong enough. Mm -hmm. And in order to be fully loved, you have to be fully known. And I wasn't fully known. I wasn't being vulnerable and transparent enough about my struggle. The way that somebody responds to someone saying for every dark night, there's a brighter day is far different to how they respond to I'm having thoughts about ending my life. And so I needed to be vulnerable and put that out there. uh, Not worried about what people's, you know, perceptions of me were going to be, but be more worried about being healed than being held in high esteem, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's a lesson that I learned is that when I want more love in my life, I send more vulnerability to the world. Uh, let me stop there. Cause that, those are master classes in themselves. I love it, man. Yeah. I mean, th- those are huge. And a lot of those words really resonated with me because I'm the type of person that throughout the last three to four years, I, I've, I've put out a lot of like those types of quotes, those types of sayings. And I felt a very similar feeling of, do people really care about me but it's it's the whole you just assuming that people are going to be able to transcribe and you know get the puzzle pieces exactly right so then they they can understand and 
it's also tough as well, because at, at least for myself, when I went through those tough times, I was around a lot of younger people who didn't fully and weren't able to fully grasp how I was feeling. And at times, depression and anxiety is looked at as a weakness and, and you're different. And, and that even gives you even more anxiety that, you know, you're not fitting in. Um, and, and that's, that's definitely a hard feeling to have. Um, and so I, I read that you were able to go to Henry Ford hospital in Detroit and, and get your second chance on life and really figure out, you know, how much life mattered and to try and each live and try and live each day to the fullest. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had this transformation in the psychiatric unit where, you know, I found my faith, but I also found hope. Mm-hmm. And I think till then I had no hope. I felt hopeless. And when you feel hopeless, you feel helpless. And I felt both. And, and, and when I had that hope, I, I, I say it this way, man, I, I told people I found this dangerous thing called hope. And when you ha- have hope, it makes you dangerous. When you have hope, you see options where other people see barriers. When you have hope, you see possibilities where other people see uh, closed-in roads. When you have hope, you have energy to get up the next day and figure it out versus wanting to stay in bed and life go away. Like hope is dangerous. And so uh, as abstract as that seems, as fluffy as that sounds, it's a powerful force of energy when you have hope. And I had that then, and I came out of that psychiatric care facility, like, 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 uh, you know, uh, Clark Kent becoming Superman. And I came out with this chip on my shoulder that I'm going to figure out my purpose. I'm going to figure out why I'm still alive. I'm going to figure out how I can add more good to the world. I'm going to figure out how I can be myself. I, I did not survive all these suicide attempts, dark nights of depression, wanting to quit, throwing the towel, hating myself, losing my authentic voice to come out of those uh, uh, moments to be, to experience the same life. I'm not going back to inauthenticity. I'm not going back to faking it till I make it. I'm not going back to uh, being externally successful and being an inward failure. I'm not going back to allowing people whose lives aren't going anywhere to control the decisions that I make. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting a new normal. And it's funny because we cling to the familiar, you know, uh, and, and, and I kept saying when I was going to counseling sessions and personal development uh, conferences and trying to invest in myself and find myself, I kept saying, man, I just want to go back to normal, back to where I don't feel like every day is a new surgery. And I realized that it was the old normal that led me to the place that I was in in the first place. What I didn't need is to get back to normal. What I needed was to create a new normal with new habits, new beliefs, new disciplines that will create a life that I've never experienced before. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's, that's amazing to hear, man, because all I can picture right now when you brought up the Clark Kent thing is just Daryl coming out, coming out of the doors of the hospital, throws his glasses and then rips open his chest. And then there's the Superman sign right there. And it's just yeah. it's just the new man, the new man, yeah. the new beginning, the new chapter. And yeah. that's amazing, man, because, I mean, there's a lot of people who go through those situations. And, and like you mentioned, they, they fall right back into that dark place and they're not yeah. able to fully implement those lessons uh, into their life and, until maybe another situation happens. But mm-hmm. it's something incredible that you've done as well after that experience to not only go towards a purpose of helping people, but I love what you've been doing with athletes as well. Uh, and you're the founder of an uh, organization called Second Chance Athletes. 
and uh, everybody can go and check it out at secondchanceathletes.com. But just explain a little bit about that organization and what really motivated you to start it. I noticed that I was happier about my life and my future than my peers. I would talk to my colleagues, other teammates that I knew, uh, athletes that I knew, even that didn't play with me, but like that my dad knew or was from Central or just saw me play AAU and was formed, whatever. I'm talking to all these athletes and I'm noticing that when they're talking about their life, it's kind of like gray. It's, you know, it's like low energy, you know, like what's going on in your life? Oh, you know, just uh, out here grinding, man. And I'm like, that sounds boring. But then we got to talking about sports and they were like, oh, man, you remember when we played Western and and and, and what's the man? You remember you got that hit? Hey, hey, Stitch, you remember we chased down that running back from Eastern Michigan and like the energy shifted. And I was like, hey, what, what, uh, what's that about? And I started to dig deeper and I'm like, wow, people are living their current life as if it's second best to their former life as an athlete whatever I've done to invest in myself and find my purpose and, and, and be where I am in this moment is different than what they've done because I have a whole different mindset. I, I, I celebrate my accomplishments. I just don't live there. And I'm so excited about my future. I have not peaked. My best days are in front of me. They're not behind me. Yeah. I'm happy that I was a good athlete. I'm happy that I got to travel the U S I'm happy that uh, I got to be on a Mac championship team. I'm, I'm happy that I got some newspaper articles, some medals, some trophies, won some dunk contests. Like I'm happy that I have all those experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my best days are in front of me. I've got more people to impact, more people to influence, more, more, more conferences to start, more coach, more, more speakers to coach, more athletes to help. Like my best days are in front of me. And so I was like, man, I need to find some. So I started having conversations with them, started a blog, started some mentorship and just kind of, you know, took it one, one athlete at a time to figure out what was the best solution to help them create a better life. I love it, man. And and so how could people get involved? Yeah, you can go to secondchanceathletes.com. I think there's all types of contact forms. There's a way for you to donate to the cause. Uh, we're going through a whole restructuring process on what we'll offer just because of the shift of now mental health is a thing. And um, so we're, we're making some adjustments to make sure that we're still, because uh, our vision is, is to be a solution hub mm-hmm. so that when you enter into our ecosystem, you have everything that you need through us or affiliate partner that you don't get lost in the cracks. You know, um, you know, I, I remember what it's like to go uh, to, to, to get my x-rays at this hospital and then go uh, have to fill out the same stupid paperwork at another hospital just to get an MRI, just to go to another hospital and fill out the same stupid paperwork just so I can get an epidural injection in my back. And what we're doing is saying like, Hey, whether it's branding, whether it's speaking, whether it's, uh, mental health counseling, whether it is uh, figuring out how to monetize your brand, how whether it is um, learning how to develop spiritually, you know, within us or within one of our partners, we're going to make sure that no athlete gets left behind. And, and, and that's where the, the kind of the term is like, hey, what does second chance athletes to do? We give former and forgotten athletes a second chance to succeed in life without the demands of sports. Love it, man. Seriously. Um, anything that I can do to help promote or support that organization, I, I, I'm definitely in. And Sweet. Uh, we would like um, a million dollar check. So <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm definitely going to share share this information uh, with a lot of people around me, as well as different athletes that I know that are, are in the mental health space and are, yeah. are athletes that love to talk about this stuff um, because it's really an amazing movement, man. It's, it's something that needs Thanks. to be talked about way more. Thank you. I appreciate you. Absolutely, my man. And uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today to really share a lot of your experiences and your knowledge, because I, I believe that there's a lot of very rich information within this episode. And I, I hope people, you know, come away from this episode learning a lot about, you know, how to overcome rejection, as well as how to overcome challenges and how you've been able to do it in such a positive light. And, and if you have not checked out Daryl yet, uh, definitely go over to his Instagram and check out a lot of his short videos. They've been very helpful for me as well. And if you're not into a lot of the long form stuff, he has some great um, useful videos that talks a lot about what we talked about today as well. But Daryl, for the people that want to learn more about you and get involved with the amazing things that you were doing, uh, where can they find you? Go to DarylStinson.com, hit your boy up, or social media, Stinson Speaks. Um, you know, Google my name, I'll pop up and uh, just reach out, connect. I'm approachable. Uh, I'll be happy to help grab a conversation, see how we can uh, get you moving towards your dreams, your goals and living a more, you know, mentally healthy and fulfilled life. I love it, man. I love it. So definitely everybody go and check it out. I really appreciate you coming on, man. And I hope everybody enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.